Hey gang, this is Chris. I'm about to make a call to the South American country of Guyana to chat with Sean Caleb. Sean is the master distiller of uh, El Dorado rum, and we're going to talk about what makes his rum unique and delicious, which I think it is. So hang on while I make that call now. Good morning. Good morning. Hi, is, is this Sean Caleb? Speaking. Hello, hi, this is Chris Osborne. How are you? I'm doing all right. How are you, sir? I'm okay, sir. Thank you very much for uh, taking the time to speak with me. No problem. Yeah, I'm, a, I'm a big fan of El Dorado rum, so this is very exciting for me. Yes, and, uh, I appreciate you reaching out to us and giving us this opportunity as well. Oh, that's great. Thank you. Yes. Well, in general, I mean, let, let's start with you. Let's get right into it. Um, you are the master distiller for El Dorado Rum, and I guess I'm... Are you in Guyana right now? I am. Okay, that's okay. Fine. And that's where El Dorado Rum is based. So, it's Caribbean rum, but a little different from other ones. you want to talk about how... What sets it apart from other rums? Um, well, you mean geographically or in terms of its quality? Um, both, I guess. But I guess, as, as I understand it, sort of the geography and, and the sugar cane that you mm -hmm. use sets it apart from other rums. Right. So, in terms of our geography, we're located, located on the South American continent, on the, north, on the northern coast uh, bordering the Atlantic Ocean. Okay. Which actually gives us a pretty unique geography in terms of our soil structure, in terms of the minerality and nutrient content of the soil, as well as in terms of the wide plethora of uh, microbiological species, both in the soil and in the air, hmm. all of which interact with the sugarcane crop. Um, because of that incredible richness, the sugarcane actually, quite apart from developing high yields, also uh, develop a high content of uh, minerals, as well as uh, naturally coexist with uh, native wild yeast and other bacterial species, all of which end up in the molasses, of course, after the sugar is extracted. So because of that uh, natural environmental influence, the richness of the fermented brew that comes from the molasses actually gives us several advantages. Um, the main one being that uh, the composition of the uh, the alcohol that is produced has so many more co-products, all of which can contribute flavors and aromas in different ways, that gives us, as a distilling uh, entity, that advantage where our rums are much more robust in terms of flavors and aromas. And, and so the geography really filters all the way through into the final product. And I think that gives us, because of our unique placement, uh, precisely a unique product to kind of generate from our origins. Okay, that's very interesting. So I guess, uh, like terroir, when, when people talk about wine, yours is a very distinct exactly. rum. Yes, yes, exactly. yes, 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 yes. Exactly. So, so to give a, a couple of examples of uh, the ways in which the product um, actually, you know, stands out in terms of its quality, um, of course, in terms of flavors, you know, we, we can further divvy that into a very wide array, much like the flavor wheel, as is, you know, better known in wines and and bourbons. Um, you know, we have been able to identify a wide spectrum of flavors, ranging from, uh, you know, sweet aromatic notes, mm -hmm. uh, more earthy uh, notes, to verbal, uh, uh, sorry, vegetal, uh, herbal, 
spicy, nutty, fruity, floral, very wide a range of, uh, of, of different uh, flavors and aromas just because of the possibility of producing so many different components, each of which contribute different flavors. Another interesting bit is that because of our proximity to the Atlantic Ocean uh, and where we're situated on the east bank of the Demerara River, uh, the water source from which you know the, all the production derives um, tends to have a very high minerality and that actually filters all the way through into the product. Okay. So one of the things that I always enjoy uh, about our rums is that quite apart from the, I, I guess, the intense, uh, you know, interviews uh, or interplay of different flavors coming on initially, there's always that bit of dryish, briny uh, finish just because of, you know, once the flavors have dissipated, that innate quality of the water that seeps through everything yes. um, kind of has its lassie. Okay. So it almost has a minerality or it does have a minerality. It does have a minerality. That's okay. right. That's, that's really interesting. So I guess in it's almost like you get the sweet and the salty in your rum, as opposed to most rums. Almost all exactly. rums are, are more just sweet, maybe complex, but just sweet. And you've got that extra sort of edge. So it's like salted caramel. Almost. Exactly. Yeah, that's exactly. nice. <laughs> that's, just, that's exactly the way to look at it. Wonderful, wonderful. And Keith, may I ask you a little bit about uh, the, the sugar cane, Demerara? I'm sure a lot of people are familiar with Demerara sugar, and that's exclusively what you use, if I'm if I'm correct. At the moment, yes. Okay. At the moment, yes. But we have configured our process to make it as far as possible uh, independent of molasses source because we can make the adjustments to match the final quality we're looking okay. for. In other words, while we would have started and would have been bred on, you know, Demerara source uh, molasses, um, we do recognize that the world is changing. Yes. And so while the process has been tried and true for centuries, um, we have found that through, through testing that we can make certain diligent tweaks in the process and still be able to replicate the same quality. So for us, hmm. um, we emphasize more the Demerara influence on the production process okay. rather than the Demerara source of the raw material. I see. Well, what is that? Uh, well, how does that affect the production then? Um, in the process, we yes. make certain tweaks to ensure that the, uh, the standard dry yeast, which is the active ingredient used in our process, has the right condition. So whatever components are, uh, are lacking, uh, compared to what may be naturally present in our uh, locally sourced molasses, we're able to compensate for that. To give you an example, so our soils tend to be very clay on the coast where most of the sugar comes from. And with that, there's high nutrient content because of the high presence of nitrogen-fixing bacteria. Um, so, you know, the, the mineral content, the nutrient content tends to be very high, say, as opposed to Central America or parts of uh, even Mexico. Yes where the altitude is higher, the soil structure is different. There's a lot more acidity, far fewer assimilable nitrogen, and other minerals coming into the molasses. Okay. So recognizing that from the outset, we can adjust the nutrient structure that the yeast is cultivated in so as to allow them to roughly produce the right amount of the various components that we require. What are the things that has enabled us to do this? is because uh, over the last decade or so, um, we have really been intensely focusing a lot of effort on understanding the 
chemistry of our products. So once we, of course, identify the particular flavors that are dominant in any mark of rum, uh, we try to study and understand what are the components that are important for that particular com- for that particular flavor to be present. And so, taking that one step further, that is by understanding how the biochemistry of the yeast and the conditions of operation tend to uh, emphasize the production of those components. It means that even when the conditions are not quite right for that particular uh, reaction pathway we can tweak the process so as to give it that boost that it wouldn't otherwise have. So in that way, while the raw material substrate could have some difference potentially, because we have now added this layer of science onto what we do, we can make the necessary tweaks to the process so as to ensure that the product at the end of the day um, is consistent with what it has always been known for. Uh, now, this is not to say that we don't recognize the importance of locally sourced molasses sure. or that we don't have a preference. Of course we do, because, uh, of course, with locally sourced, these tweaks are not necessary and we keep our production process as simple as possible. But I'm also saying that um, even without it, you know, we have options that we have been now been able to test and prove that can allow us to replicate exactly what we do right now in terms of our final product. Okay. Um, so one way or another, we have secured our place in terms of ensuring El Dorado continues to meet the world. Okay, wow. And are you are you coming from a science background? I am. I'm a chemical engineer, a chemical engineer um, by okay. training. So. Wow. And how long have you been master distiller? I've been in charge since 2011, but okay. been the company since 2003. Wow. And when you were studying to become a, a chemical engineer... Um, did you did you want to go into the rum or the drinks industry? I, I did, in fact, and that was one of the advantages that I had. So I was able to focus a lot of my studies and electives uh, towards different areas that would give me the preparatory tools to be able to understand the distilling industry once I stepped into it. So yes, and it definitely worked to my advantage. Okay, and are you you from originally from Guyana? I am. Okay. Yes, I am. And I'm guessing El Dorado is a uh, a big industry there, a big it's, employer. It's huge. Yeah. It's one of the five biggest employers. And in terms of branding, El Dorado as a brand is um, recognized as the only brand that has as big of an international reach as it does, covering you know practically all the continents and um, dozens and dozens of countries. While there are other famous brands from Guyana, the reach that El Dorado has been able to attain uh, as well as its growth, its continuing growth is uh, unmatched by any other. All right. Yeah. How old is the El Dorado? It was first released in 1993. Uh, there were, of course, precursor brands, but El Dorado represented the first release into the premium segment, which okay. uh, itself was a novel concept at the time because, uh, you know, other spirits, uh, scotches and, and cognacs, you know, did have that territory covered, but not rums. Right. And so premiumization of rums um, was one of one of our kind of pioneering uh, trailblazing moves. And, and, you know, it's really gratifying for us to see that it has made as much progress as it has sure. over the past 25 years. Yeah. And how, what, you have like just um, three ages in the range. Am I correct about that? Or is there more? Oh, there are much more than that. Oh, okay. Um, 
So we, we, we tend to segregate them into, I would say, four different broad categories. Okay. Um, they're the mixing rums. And, and, and so our segregation is, is based on application. And while it coincides with age, it uh, by no means tends to denote quality. Uh, so for instance, a three-year-old rum can be perfect for a particular application and superior in that case than an older rum. Sure. All right, so we 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 are not ones that promote our rums uh, by age, uh, denoting quality, right? Uh, okay, and, and that's because the rums are so rich to begin with, and because the tropical aging uh, is so accelerated that the rums can achieve a high level of maturity fairly quickly. So, in a sense, they become ripe for application pretty soon. So, a three-year-old, for example, in a daiquiri can be equally uh, good or even superior depending on the consumer's preference than say a daiquiri with an Eldorado 5 or 8. Sure, okay, okay. Because, yeah, oh, go ahead, please. Go ahead, go ahead, sorry. No, just because I'm guessing the older it is, the more character it has that's going to influence a cocktail. And why have it in a cocktail when you can just have it on its own? Well, that's one way to look at it. But the other way to look at it is that all of our rums are different blends. So the age is, so first of all, the blends are determined by the applications that we are targeting. And the age is a function of that sweet spot mm -hmm. that best gets it to that point. So with the three, which is of course a, a white rum, um, you know, we, we wanted just a bit of body, but we didn't want to have the oaky tannins, you know, of the, of sure, the yeah. barrel to become part of the mix. So aging that for too long obviously makes the process um, more difficult to re revert to sort of as close as possible to the natural state of the rum. So three tend to be just, just that perfect spot so that once the color is removed the, and, and with that the molasses notes and so on, it leaves behind, interestingly, the same flavors that were endemic to the distillate originally. And so because of that process, um, here is a, a, a rum that has light, crisp flavors, but very distinct flavors, uh, but which also has a very mature, developed body, um, as opposed to an eight-year-old, which is blended differently. So with the eight, we wanted a rum that can still be used uh, as a mixer, but certainly has enough complexity to stand out um, as a sipper. You know, whether, for example, offering, as we discussed earlier, notes along different parts of the taste spectrum. In the case of the eight, it's a nice mix of some sweet notes with some bitter notes. Um, and the versatility between those two lends to an interesting interplay on the palate, which obviously lends to a fairly mature sipping experience. Um, but still, the flavors are not so complex that they get so completely lost in, in, in a cocktail. Okay. They're also robust enough that even with... Uh, um, I guess more unctuous flavors, uh, you know, say, like gingery flavors. Even mm -hmm. uh, they can still stand up really well. So it all depends on the application and the age is what is required to take it to that spot. Okay, oh, very interesting. And uh, do you have yeah. a favorite in the range? Um, I I started out liking the Eldorado Fifteen, but uh, clearly that was because of the international renown that the fifteen-year-old gained. And I still do to this day, but um, you know, I, 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 I drink across the entire range without um, 
much preference at that. Really, no. It depends on what my mood is, what the occasion okay. is, and sort of what the the company I'm with is going for. Um, so if it's uh, if it's, if it's a cocktail kind of outing, then depending on what is happening, I may go with the three or with the twelve in a cocktail, depending on how the spend is going. Or if I'm at a meal, I may go for something neat. Um, if it's uh, a little bit on the sweeter side, I may go for the twelve. A little bit dry, I may go for the fifteen. So I, I drink across the spectrum. Though still at heart, I you know have that special place for the elder out of fifty. Okay, your twelve-year-old just won a pretty big award this year, didn't it? Oh yes, I mean they've always been winning awards. Okay, yes. <laughs> yeah, but I think it was um, what just best rum or for with the, uh, the the new award. So I'm trying to find. I had a note in it. Can't find my note now. But uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. The inaugural Caribbean Rum Awards. You won best rum uh, with your twelve-year-old. I think just overall. All right. Well, that's, yeah. a, that's a very splendid activity. Yeah, that's it, really, it really shows how the 12 is, has come into its own. I do know that uh, when the uh, in the early days, um, because the 15 was the first to achieve you know fame, mm-hmm. and it isn't. It is also the most complex of our blends. Um, it, it really overshadowed everything for quite a long time, and it's only been the last five to eight years or so that the 12 began to gain as much traction as it has in its own right. Um, so I think today, actually, most drinkers, if you ask, would identify the 12 or the 15 as their personal favorite just because it's its great value. Mm-hmm. Yes. It's mm-hmm. very complex, very flavorful. It offers all the best of El Dorado. Um, uh, just a, a great offering for the purchase. Yeah. yeah, I agree with you. In general, about uh, rums, is it is it's great value for flavor, I guess. Uh Compared to a scotch or a cognac or other amber spirits, it's just uh, because of the tropical maturation, like you said. Yeah, so that's something to keep in mind. And another thing, you you mentioned having a particular round for a particular occasion. With Uh uh, the festive season and Christmas coming, do you have any recommendations for how to best enjoy your rums? Yes. Well, I know in the UK there's, of course, the Christmas pudding and the closest analogy to that in the Caribbean is black cake, oh. um, which for us is made using caramelized fruit mm-hmm. um, and, 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 and so on. And it is actually soaked with uh, with rum to preserve it for longer than you know other cakes would typically last. Okay. So because of the, the dried fruit characteristics as well as the good level of sweetness um, in a black cake or Christmas pudding, you know, as an analogy to the Yuki, would work very well with the 12 just because of how rounded and sweet it is. Just overall, very delicious without being cloying at all in terms mm-hmm. of the intense flavors that it offers. It's very full body, but it, like I said, it's not cloying. It, it, it doesn't uh, overwhelm the palate just because the flavors really do make their presence felt and then they dissipate. It's almost like it's drying out and inviting another sip. And the flavors in that process really sync intensely well with uh, those kinds of dried fruit flavors. Very nice, yes. Oh, go ahead. Yes? So, so now, of course, you know, you may go for the various selection of meats. Um, for me personally, with, uh, if you take beef, for example, um, you know, the 12, again, I think works really well just because, you know, it's, you know, full body with just a medium amount of tannins. Okay. So, uh, 
that that tends to work really well with uh, with beef. Uh, if you go for fish, um, you might prefer something a bit more zesty with a good amount of acidity to cut through all of the oiliness. And so for that, to me, a, a, a cocktail with a three-year-old um, works really well, you know, just because the rum is lighter and drier. Yeah. Um, so a, a daiquiri or a mojito, um, you know, are pretty good mixed offerings to go with fish, typically. Okay. Um, uh, of course, to end the meal, you know, would you want to close with an Eldorado 15 or an Eldorado 21? It really depends on the consumer's preference as well as on the meal. So if you're a scotch drinker, a, a tall glass of, uh, well, a shot in a tall glass of the 15-year-old works really well. Okay. If you prefer to end with a cognac, why not swap out with the Eldorado 21? Mm-hmm. Um, what's nice this year, too, is that we have released a number of single still uh, distillates that were aged in uh, the ex-bourbon cask, but then aged for a second time oh, in okay. wine casks. So uh, Ruby and uh, White Porto, uh, the Sweet and Dry Madeira, uh, there's a, a, a Portuguese table wine, uh, that was uh, decanted and then the barrels recharged to give a nice whiskey toast level. Okay. So that's also a pretty nice option. And then the French did the dessert wine, Sauterne, also has a pretty nice twist. No, oh, that sounds the interesting. The right? stills that we chose were the double wooden pot still, of course, at 300-year-old cathedral, uh, as well as the single, sorry, the, the, the wooden coffee uh, still, um, and the French Saval still, all of which offer an intense amount of flavors, but flavors that emphasize different parts of the taste spectrums, uh, some being more grassy and earthy and vegetal, that's the PM, as opposed to the ICB, which is more standard sugarcane sweetness, or the EHB, which is more fruity, more floral, with some hint of butterscotch. But it, well, what's nice is to see how the different wine casks really add a spin and a twist on each of them. So... As definitely a, a close to a meal, trying something different from the Eldorado is a good way to go. Wow, <laughs> you just kind of blew my mind with some of those, some of those casks that you you're using there. That's amazing. Well, 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 Sean, thank you so much for your time. And um, as this was going to come out just before Christmas, Merry Christmas to you. Thank you very much, Sam. Do you when the upper returns? Yes, very. And I, I, I really enjoyed talking with you. Thank you so much. Sure, it's my pleasure. Thanks for calling. Yes, have a great day. You too. Bye. Bye Bye-bye.